0: Match Chat is brought to you by Walters. Walters is your spot for all Florida State football games this season. Big game this Sunday night as it also face LSU kickoff at 730.
1: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors. According to Indeed data, Just go to Indeed.com slash Bluewire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's indeed.com/slash Bluewire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
2: Here's the 2-1. Swing a fly ball, right center field deep. Manessis is chasing back toward the warning track, looking up, and it's off the wall. Heading home to score is noisy. Machine headed toward the plate, and the throw in is cut off, and it's a two-run double for Shea Langoliers. Off the very top of the right center field fence, giving Oakland a 5-3 lead here in the 10th. Ruiz standing by, one and two the count here's the pitch swing a hard ground ball right side it's through a base hit in the right field past the diving attempt of Allen the shortstop on the right side Cesar Hernandez will come in to score two balls two strikes two on two outs here it comes Swinging a high fly ball right center field deep Pache going back to the warning track at the wall looking up Manessis has another chapter. Nationals win their first walk-off of the season. It's seven to five as they mob Manessis crossing home plate. His first career walk-off homer, a three-run shot just over the wall in right center field. And the Nationals celebrate their first walk-off in
0: 2022, courtesy of Joey Manessis. Wow. And welcome to Nats Chat for Friday, September 2nd, 2022. I'm Al Galdi, host of the Al Galdi podcast. Mark Zuckerman is off for this installment of the podcast, but I'm pleased to be joined by the mastermind of this podcast, Tim Shovers. And Tim, my friend, we have quite the ballgame to discuss and dissect. It isn't going to happen, and it is the Nats going the entirety of of the 2022 season without a walk-off win. It took 131 games, but the Nats in their 2022 regular season finally have a walk-off victory, a 7-5, 10-inning win over the Oakland A's at Nationals Park on Thursday to win the series two games to one. The Nats get the walk-off win. The Nats get the extra-inning win, improved to just 4-18 and in extra-inning games over the last two seasons. But most prominent of everything that went down on Thursday is the legend of Joey Manessis continuing to grow. The legend of our guy, Joey Fourbags, continuing to grow. The growth at this point is exponential. Joey Manessis on Thursday, four for six with a walk-off three-run homer, an RBI single, and two other singles. Tim, this has gone from like a cute, fun little story to now something that everyone has got to take seriously. Joey Manessis is a force. Joey Fourbags is a force.
3: Indeed, Al, you know, once Cavalli got hurt, it was like, okay, where are the September storylines for us to follow here? There are a few things, of course. But this Joey Manessis thing now, Joey Fourbags... I really want to see what the next month brings for his sample size because his August numbers are pretty off the charts and jaw-dropping. And here we are on the first day of September, and he has four hits and a walk-off homer. And, you know, obviously, of course, small sample size. Want to say that, underline it, bold it, italicize. But there's something going on here. And uh, if he has another month like this, Joey Fourbags is going to be on the opening day roster in 2023.
0: Oh, yeah. He might be your opening day number two batter as he has become the every game two batter at this point with this team. It's funny that you bring up the Cade Cavalli thing because this series against the A's started off in such a depressing way with that Cade Cavalli news of earlier this week. The Nats on Wednesday putting Cade Cavalli on the 15-day injured list with the right shoulder inflammation. You know, they won't say that his season is done. I guess maybe it's possible that his season isn't done. But I mean, you do the math. It certainly seems very likely that his season is done. He was supposed to start the game on Thursday. The baseball gods work in mysterious ways. And in a game that, you know, had you feeling down going into the game. Again, Cade Cavalli isn't pitching. I mean, you know, let's be honest about this series. It's the two worst teams in the majors this season, the Nats and the A's. This game on Thursday, by the way, four plus hours, okay? That's another conversation. But it's like, none of it matters. And all of it is just fine because of this Joey Manessis thing. This Nats season has been lacking, and not just positive storylines, but just also fun. Like it has not been a fun season. If you're a Nats fan, there have been so few fun moments. There have been so few fun games. There have been so few fun developments. This Joey Manessis thing is fun. What it means long term, I don't know. And at this point, I don't think you have to care so much about that. Just enjoy it. If you're a Nats fan. Sit back, relax, and enjoy this. You've earned the right to just enjoy something. And I think that that's maybe the beauty of this as much as anything. It's just fun. It's such a welcome respite from everything else going on with the Nats right now.
3: Absolutely. Fun is the perfect word to say it because we've forgotten this year that baseball can be fun. It's been miserable the entire season, and it's just been one thing after another. And here's this Joey Manessa story, which is just incredible and keeps on going. It took all the way till September to get a walk-off victory. Hats off to you and Mark for foreshadowing it in our last episode, by the way, on that. But entering today, right, they hadn't won four games in a row all year. They haven't had a sweep in over a year. Every single time you might want to get excited, you get punched in the gut. But today was just a fun win, a walk-off victory to start off a holiday weekend and, you know, based upon what we saw in our Twitter account after the game, people were really excited. And I haven't seen that a lot. And it took really somehow to 131 games to do it. But it happened here finally.
0: Yes. Yeah, speaking of Twitter, the Nationals official Twitter account putting out a tweet after the game reading and I quote Joey Fourbags. Joey Fourbags is becoming a thing. Now, Kevin Franzen of Masson is taking credit for Joey Fourbags. So, I don't know. We'll have to go to some sort of kangaroo court to determine who exactly gets the credit for the nickname Joey Fourbags. But whoever you want to give credit to, I know that Mark on this podcast said it. That's the first time that I heard it. Maybe Kevin said it as well at some point. I'm not saying that he's lying about that. But whoever came up with the nickname, who cares? Joey Fourbags is killing it right now. So, you know, it's so amazing, this entire story, and it's easy to take for granted. And, you know, if you're a Nats fan or a Nats observer, you can kind of become numb to the story. But let's think about this. August 2nd, the day on which the Nats traded Juan Soto and Josh Bell to the San Diego Padres. It was also on that day that the Nats selected the contract of Joey Manessis from A Rochester. The only reason that he's up at the major league level is because the Nats needed players off having traded away Soto and Bell on August 2nd. That was such a downer of a day. And yet, since then, Joey Manessis has appreciably outhid Juan Soto. Yeah, Joey Manessis now, with the Nats, has accumulated 104 plate appearances. He, over those 104 plate appearances, has an OPS of 1,011. As of the taping of this installment of the Nats Chat podcast, Juan Soto with the San Diego Padres has an OPS of 840. Not bad, but not as good as Joey Manessis. How amazing is that that Joey Manessis over a month with the Nats has out-sotoed Soto? Like, let that sink in for a moment. And again, what does it mean long-term? I don't know. I don't care right now. <laughs> like, Let's just enjoy this. Manessis is out playing Juan Soto. How many people would have even listened to that on August 2nd with how disturbed and angry people were with that trade? And I don't blame anyone for being angry about that trade. And yet here we are a month later, and this guy, Joey Manessis, who most people had never even heard of, is outdoing Juan Soto since that trade.
3: I have one word to describe it, Al. Baseball. The sport that makes all the sense in the world because it's got every number in the book to back up and all the logic, sometimes it makes no sense. And this is just a perfect example of it. And uh, looking at the stats, the August stats, I mean, his numbers, you said appreciably, they blow Soto out of the water. You know, much higher OPS and a a higher average and all that. And listen, I know, it's one month, the sample size and all that stuff. But it is just a really funny thing how um, this doesn't happen in the NBA, right? NBA superstars don't hit 240, on the court, whatever that equivalent is, but that does happen in in baseball, and this is just one of a very fun example of that.
0: Yeah, I mean, the only NBA equivalent I can think of is Lynn Sanity from uh, more than a decade ago. Now, Jeremy Lynn catching fire. Now, you know, if you apply that to Manessis, Jeremy Lynn calmed down quite a bit after Lynn Sanity had an NBA career, but was never again at that height. We'll see what happens with Joey Manessis. We don't know. I mean, the other things too with Manessis. And again this stuff is well-known by now, but this is his age 30 season. This was his 10th minor league season. So, you know, it's not that like he's some 22-year-old who just was an unsung prospect. No, he's a 30-something who is a career minor leaguer a decade in the minors. He toiled for a decade in the minors, is only now getting a shot at the major league level, and is hitting like crazy. So, Modestis on Thursday, like we said, four for six in the game. Let's just go through the specifics here because, you know, as I've talked about with Mark, it's not just the home runs. That's the thing. He's not just some one-trick home run hitting pony. He's a guy who can legitimately hit. He's good with two strikes. He's good going the opposite way. We saw more of that in this game. Manessis in Nats, one-run first, RBI single up the middle for a one nothing Nats lead. Manessis bottom of the third, leadoff single up the middle on a 1-2 pitch. Manessis in Nats, one-run seventh, one-out single up the middle. And then the walk-off, 4-run 10th, a walk-off, 2-out, 3-run, opposite field home run to right center for a 7-5 Nats win. This was, again, the Nats' first walk-off win of the season. This win improved the Nats to 4-18 and in extra inning games over these last two seasons. And Manessis hit this home run despite having been down in the count at 1.02. 1,011 is your Joey Manessis OPS over 104 plate appearances with the team. He is proving himself to be someone who can hit. It's so nice to see. He did have a fielding error in the game. So, okay, if you want to pick a nit, there's your nit to pick. Manessis in an A's, a two-run seventh, overran the ball on a two-out opposite field single by Sean Murphy through the right side of the infield. Manessis probably should be a DH, maybe should be a first baseman. We're not seeing him play first base. I actually would like to see that over the course of the rest of this season. But man, it is impressive. And you know, he looks the part too. I mean, he's a big guy. He's got a nice swing. I don't know. I mean, he's obviously not this good. At least I don't think that he is. But He certainly seems like someone who could be a legitimate hitter for the Nats, you know, as time goes on here. Like, is he a thousand OPS guy? Probably not. You know, again, you never know. But it's hard to believe that, like, he's just never going to be heard from again. You know what I mean? Like, it would feel like you have something in him. It's just a question of what exactly you have in him.
3: Well, let's play this out, Al, because you mentioned he's probably a first baseman, not a right fielder, to which I agree. So let's say he plays first base and we move Luke Voigt to DH. I'm fine with not playing Nelson Cruz anymore, and I'm fine, frankly, and I know it'd be a little bit of a screw job because it's after September 1, and he couldn't join another team for the postseason. Can we cut Nelson Cruz? I mean, at a certain point, this is a sunk cost. There's a legitimate thing going on here with Manessas, and let's see what we have here, and if it comes at the expense of Nelson Cruz not playing anymore that's fine with me. What do you say to that?
0: Yeah, I, I wouldn't play him every day. I mean, I, I don't think you have to cut him. I'm saying done. Like, thank you
3: for your time. Goodbye, Nelson Cruz.
0: You could do it. I mean, I, I wouldn't shed a tear over it. I don't think, though, that you have to do it. I think you just don't have to play him every game. And you, for darn sure, don't have to have him as your cleanup batter for every game. I mean, look, to Nelson's credit, he's getting some singles. He's drawing the occasional walk. He's still not hitting for any power whatsoever. And he's going to be gone after this season. Like, this is not taking you anywhere. So I would like to see, for developmental purposes, if nothing else, Manessis playing first base, Luke Voigt DHing, and let's see what that looks like. Let's get this kid Alex Call some more at-bats. You know, if you're talking about who's going to play right field, oh, you can shift some guys around. But the point is, you could play Call. You could play a little more Josh Palacios. I mean, there are people who you could play. You don't have to keep playing Nelson Cruz on an every-game basis. I mean, at this point, if you are the Nats, okay, and you are the worst team in the majors, you have to look at guys and you have to itemize who they are, okay? So you're either a potential building block, you're a potential trade chip, or you are, as I like to say, a road to nowhere, okay? And I say that, you know, kiddingly. Like, I'm not trying to be nasty to people, but, like, that's what you do. Each guy falls into one of those three categories, okay? Potential building block, potential trade chip, road to nowhere. Nelson Cruz is a road to nowhere. All due respect, I think he's a possible future Hall of Famer. He's had an excellent career. Everyone raves about him as a human being. Okay, none of this is personal, but he's going to be gone after this season. So, you don't prioritize Nelson Cruz. You prioritize a Joey Meneses. You prioritize a CJ Abrams. You prioritize a Luis Garcia. You prioritize a K. Bear Ruiz. So, I'm with you on that. No doubt. This is awesome. It's great to see this. <laughs> Are you a law firm partner looking for a better situation for your practice and a blockbuster contract worthy of Joey Fourbags Menesis? If so, you should call Mason Kalfas of Zenith Legal in Washington, D.C. Works with law firms and lawyers on finding the perfect match. No platoons, 3535, or check out his website, zenithlegal.com. This is an unprecedented time in the legal market, and many top firms are looking to expand. Call Mason today. Zenith Legal also works with associates and distinguishes itself
2: First base side of the rubber, kicks in, delivers, swing, and a line drive, base hit! In the left field, rounding third, Hernandez coming home, he will score! The throw going towards second, El DeMauro, Vargas does it again! Another clutch hit for the Nationals. He drives in his 13th run of the year, his ninth in 24 games as a National, and this game is all even
0: here in the bottom of the eighth inning. If not for the heroics of Joey Manessis, we would be singing the praises loudly and proudly of some other Nats. And you know what? Let's go ahead and sing those praises, at least to some extent, right now. Ildemoro Vargas. I mean, speaking of... Heroes for the Nats out of nowhere over these last few weeks. Ildemoro Vargas, of course, weeks ago now supplanted Michael Franco as the Nats' every game third baseman. Well, Vargas on Thursday was the Nats' starting shortstop as Abrams got a rare day off in terms of starting anyway. And uh, Vargas on Thursday only went one for five, but the one was a big RBI single. Vargas in the Nats' one-run eighth, a two-out RBI single through the left side of the infield to tie the game at three. And he had a steal of second base. This is another guy who goes back to early August when the Nats were at least trying to make trades. They only ended up making two trades. But the first of the two trades, August 1st, the Nats dealt their super utility man, A. Ray Adrianza, to Atlanta. The Nats on August 1st selected a contract of Vargas from AAA Rochester. This is another guy who is an older player. He is not some, you know, 20-something. This is Vargas' age, 30 season. So think about that. Manessis and Vargas each guy out of nowhere, each guy brought up from AAA Rochester, each guy age 30 season, and each guy producing in stunning fashion for the Nats. Vargas over 89 major league plate appearances for the Nats, OPS of 836. And again, this is a guy known for his defense, not for his bat. And yet he continues to hit. He has had some big hits and he had another big hit on Thursday.
3: First off, a little bit of confusion that I would like to have cleared up by the Nationals' Twitter account while we mention it. They tweeted out Vargy and then said he also goes by Sparky, and I heard Franzen call him Sparky, so I would love some uh, clarification on what his nickname is as we move forward. But in addition to all the offense, Al, that you talk about, one thing I really like today is he played at shortstop as C.J. Abrams had the day off until he pinch ran late in the game. He was a very capable backup shortstop. I mean, that's something you couldn't say a month ago or at any point in this season. As we talked about, if Meneses can be on the opening day roster in 2023, I don't think any of us want Ildemar Vargas starting at third base next season on opening day. But as him as the backup shortstop and as the backup utility infielder, who we know maybe has a little bit of a bat as well, that to me is also another positive development.
0: Yeah, I mean, you think about what third base could be for the Nats next season. You know, we don't know what's going to be with Quarter Keyboom. You cannot go into next year with Quarter Keyboom as your number one option at third base. He can be a option, okay? Like I don't have a problem with that, but he can't be the option. So you have to say, all right, we need inventory at third base. We need options at third base. Vargas can be an option at Third base, and to your point, he's got the defensive versatility, so at the very least, you can have him as your super utility man you know, not a starter, but someone who you can plug and play in a variety of positions. Uh, yeah, I mean, I would not have an issue with Vargas being on the team next season. You know, again, I don't think you view him as like some piece for the future, but that's okay, like, not everyone has to be 22 right now. You're trying to accumulate guys who can play for you, and again. Maybe Vargas is at a potential building block, but he could be a potential trade chip. You know, he could be someone who could be of service to a team next season. You were able to trade A. Ray Adrianza this year. Why couldn't you trade Ildemar Vargas next year if, in fact, he produces for you? So another big hit for Vargas on Thursday. How about K. Bear Ruiz? He did not start on Thursday, day game after a night game. But Ruiz in that Nats four-run 10th inning, a pinch, one-out RBI single through the right side of the infield on a 1-2 pitch. To cut the Nats deficit to five four. Another big hit in this game. KB Ruiz this season is five for thirteen as a pinch hitter. He has not had a great offensive season. You know, he's been okay, but you know, for catcher, you kind of judge offense a little bit differently. But as a pinch hitter, he's been quite good. Five of thirteen this season.
3: Yeah, and the fact that when he, you know, has these days off and he's as a pinch hitter, the fact he's a switch hitter is such an, another tool in his tool belt. That was a really nice at bat that he had. I'm always impressed by guys that pinch hit in these long games. They've been sitting on the bench for three hours and 45 minutes, and then they come out and get a hit, and he was certainly an important part of the late innings. I do like seeing him. You know, A lot of teams that their starting catcher isn't someone who's known for their bat at all, and a lot of managers don't really want to use them unless they have to as a pinch hitter. It's nice that Davey Martinez can trust his starting catcher to come off the bench on the off days.
0: Yeah, I mean, there are so few truly good offensive catchers in baseball that if you have someone who can hit at least a little, that gives you a leg up on people. Now, the hope of Bert Ruiz is that he can hit a lot, not just a little. We'll see. But yeah, I mean, he has been actually quite the weapon as a pinch hitter, especially lately. He's had some pinch hits over these last few weeks. So Joey Manessis, hero. Ildemar Vargas, hero. Caber Ruiz, a hero. Lane Thomas, was good for the Nats on Thursday. He was your leadoff batter, your starting center fielder, one for four with a double and two walks. He in a one-run first for the Nats, had a leadoff first pitch double down the left field line. You know, Lane Thomas has been better lately. He, for the month of August, slugged 468. This was a weird game for the Nats offensively. So the Nats in this series did hit. The bats did wake up. But the Nats on Thursday, four for 18 with runners in scoring position, and you had some whacked-out lines in the final box score. Luis Garcia, 0-4 for 4 with a walk and three strikeouts, left six men on base. Cesar Hernandez, who was a starting third baseman in this game, we had a question recently, who's the Nets backup third baseman? Well, Cesar Hernandez is your backup third baseman, but he on Thursday, 0-3 for 3 with a walk-in, a hit-by-pitch, left five men on base, But how about what happened with Alex Call in this game? So he went one for four left, four men on base, but the one was a triple. Alex Call in the bottom of the second, a leadoff triple, leadoff triple to the left center field gap, but didn't score. The Nats had a lot of opportunity in this game to score even more runs than the team ended up scoring. It's funny, you don't often complain, especially with this Nats team, you score seven runs, you should have done better, but you actually could make the case, Nats in this game, seven runs, the seven runs came on 11 hits and six walks. The Nats could have put up like 10 runs in this game with how many guys the team had on base.
3: It was funny because the offense right away in the bottom of the first two batters, right? you have Thomas with the leadoff double, Manessas knocks him in, the Nats go up 1-0, and they're moving the line, it felt very unusual for this season, we're not used to that, right? And then, the next inning, Alex Call with the leadoff triple, and you just knew he wasn't going to score. I mean, you could, <laughs> he just, it, I mean, I almost wrote it in my notes before the inning even ended, so that was a real splash in the water of reality after the, the way the bottom of the first began. Alex Call, am I saying this correctly, has not played since August 23rd before today?
0: He has not been playing much. Is that the date? I know he's barely been playing. That's ridiculous.
3: I mean, he should be playing a few times a week, as you said. Let's find out what we have here. The Nats made the move to get him when he was available after Cleveland got rid of him. Let's see what we got here. Frankly, I'd love to see some days where the outfield is Thomas Robles and Call, and just those three guys. And is at first base, and Voigt's DHing. And we just see what we have here. Kind of touching on the earlier conversation, Cleveland. For those who don't know, they didn't want to get rid of him. They didn't get rid of him because he was hitting 188 or anything. They got rid of him because they were in an odd roster crunch. You know, it's a numbers game, and sometimes it just sort of happens. And they're a team that's in first place. So they have to keep their eye on the day-to-day and, and winning this season. So let's find out what Alex Call is. And I really liked, uh, of course, that RBI triple.
0: The Nats claim call off waivers from Cleveland on August 7th. I've mentioned this. You know, he was a third-round pick of the White Sox in the 2016 2016- MLB draft at a ball state. So, you know, he's not just someone who like has never done anything like no, there actually is a little bit of pedigree here to Alex Cole. And to your point, let's just see some more, you know, maybe he's nothing, but maybe he's a something, you know, give him some opportunity here. And, uh, you know, let's try to find out what the Nats have in Alex Cole. Hey guys, it's Al Gaudley for Window Nation. We are into September, a time for pennant races in baseball, and Window Nation is offering pennant race worthy savings, new windows from Window Nation. At half the price, get two free windows with every two windows that you buy, plus pay nothing with no interest until 2025. Lower your energy bills, raise the value of your home with new energy efficient windows from Window Nation. Visit windownation.com or call 866 90 Nation and tell Window Nation that Al Galdi sent. Window Nation windows are the best. You know, the longer that you have old drafty windows, the more money that you're wasting on your heating and cooling bills. Window Nation has saved customers over $60 million on energy bills, and the average Window Nation installer has over 16 years of experience with 20,000 windows installed. Window Nation windows are great, and Window Nation windows are installed right the first time. Take advantage of This terrific deal. Buy two windows, get two windows free. This goes for any style of new window from Window Nation and pay nothing until 2025. Visit windownation.com or call 866 90 Nation. That's windownation.com or 866 90 Nation and tell Window Nation that Al sent Essentia. Now, a
3: word from our sponsor, Better Health. The way I take care of my mind is daily exercise, it is essential for me. There are plenty of ways to support a healthy brain, like learning a new language or taking power naps. There's also BetterHelp Online Therapy. Everyone I know who does therapy swears by it. It feels like all I hear these days is how you have to start doing therapy. BetterHelp is online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat only therapy sessions. So you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. It's much more affordable than in-person therapy and you don't have to fight traffic or look for parking. Our listeners get 10% off their first month at BetterHelp.com slash Nats Chat. That's Better slash Nats Chat.
2: Spino has just been masterful spotting that curveball. Strikeout number four and out number two. So Spino has had nine swings on his curveball. He's thrown 13 of them. The A's have swung at it nine times, and they've missed it seven
0: times. Why <laughs> my. Well, I referenced Joey Manessis as our guy, Joey Fourbags, the original our guy on the Nat Chat podcast, of course, is the secret weapon, Paolo Espino. And there's something fitting, something poetic about it. in this game that was like the ultimate crowning of Joey Meneses. at least so far. We also had Paolo Espino shining. Paolo Espino was good, really good for the Nats in this game. Again, Cade Cavalli was supposed to be the Nats starting pitcher. We thought up until a day or two ago that Corey Abbott would be the Nats starting pitcher for this game. No, Paolo Espino ended up being the starting pitcher for this game. It's like typical, right? Paolo Espino, afterthought, like, who, what? Paolo, yeah, that guy. He ends up starting, and he does a really nice job. One run in five innings, six strikeouts versus no walks. How do you like that strikeout-to-walk ratio? Six strikeouts, no walks. Paolo only gave up five hits, a homer, and four singles. He threw a lot of strikes, 66 pitches, 43 strikes, Versus 23 balls. The only big mistake by Paolo in this game was him giving up a lead-off homer to Shea Langeliers to left field on a one-two pitch in the top of the fifth to tie the game at one. A lot of big hits in this game on one-two pitches. But you know, with Paolo, it's funny because he has not been as good as a starter as he was as a reliever. But there have been some starts in which he has looked like he did as a reliever, i.e., throwing a lot of strikes, registering some strikeouts, not issuing many if any walks. And that's how he looked on Thursday. Now, the A's are a really bad hitting team, although ask Eric Fetty, you know, uh, the A's are not automatic outs, apparently. But Paolo looked good, did a good job against a bad lineup. Uh, Your updated Paolo numbers for the season, 35 games, 15 starts, 96 total innings at ERA of 422. He's not supposed to be a starter for the Nats. He keeps those starting games for the Nats, and he did a good job on Thursday.
3: Yeah, he looked really good, I thought. Other than the home run he gave up, I thought his off-speed stuff was working well, especially with two strikes. He was able to get those six strikeouts. I was really surprised that he was pulled after five innings, only at 66 pitches. I was looking at his recent pitch counts. There was one game he did go over 100, a lot of games in the high 80s. There were a few games in the low 70s. He had faced Kemp, so he had just faced the leadoff hitter for a third time, and I'm guessing that Davey didn't want him to go through the heart of the Oakland lineup for a third time. To me, I would have liked to see him come out and pitch the sixth inning, especially since there's no off day coming up, so maybe you can give the bullpen a little bit of extra help there. In the end, they won. It all worked out, though uh, the sixth inning was a bit of an adventure for Victor Arano. But I really like what I saw from Paulo today, and he's got some really tough matchups the rest of the way with the NL East. And St. Louis. So, this might be our last good Paolo start for a little bit. I hope I'm wrong, but I sure did enjoy it today.
0: Yeah, I mean, I have to admit, I was okay with Davey pulling Paolo because I think with Paolo, there's a feeling of get out while the getting's good. You don't want to push him too much, you know, that there is sort of a limitation on how deep into a game you're going to get good Paolo. So, I can't say that I was that displeased with the decision, but. It didn't work out. The Nats' bullpen was not particularly good in this game. Davey ended up using six relievers in the game. They combined to allow four runs, three earned in five innings. And even that doesn't accurately portray what the bullpen was in this game. The damage off the pen could have been a lot worse. You mentioned Victor Arano. He did toss a scoreless top of the sixth but he tossed that scoreless top of the sixth despite issuing a hit by pitch and a walk and giving up a single. He loaded the bases with one out. He did though, then induce a 5-4-3 double play for the second and third outs. Then came the Jake McGee show. He got charged with two runs and got just two outs. He in Oakland's two run seventh issued a leadoff eight pitch walk of Christian Pache and gave up a two out first pitch RBI single to Tony Kemp through the right side of the infield for a 2-1 A's lead. Then Carl Edwards Jr. came into the game. He and that Oakland two-run seventh Phase three batters, but only got one out. This was not a good appearance for Carl Edwards Jr. He gave up two two two-out singles. Now, you know, he didn't get like ravaged in this game. He only gave up two singles, but he did give up two singles. A two-out opposite field single by Sean Murphy through the right side of the infield. That was a play in which Joey Meneses committed his fielding error. And then Edwards gave up a two-out RBI single by Seth Brown to center field on a one-two pitch. There you go again for a 3-1 A's lead. Arasmo Ramirez came into the game. He did toss a scoreless top of the eighth, but even he got into some trouble. He, in that scoreless top of the eighth, gave up a two-out triple to Christian Pache to the right center field gap on a ball on which Lane Thomas could not make a sliding catch. The only Nats reliever in this game who truly looked good was Kyle Finnegan. He tossed a perfect top of the ninth to preserve a three-all tie. That was a great job by Finnegan. And then came Hunter Harvey in the top of the 10th. He allowed two runs, one of which was earned. Did retire the first two batters he faced, but Issued a two out nine pitch walk, and then Harvey gave up a two out two run double to Shea Langoliers off the right center field scoreboard for a 5 3 A's lead. And then Harvey issued another walk, a two out six pitch walk of Christian Pache. So a lot of base runners off Nats relievers in this game. And, um, you know, this was a game in which the offense really did win the game. I mean, credit to Paulo, he did a good job. But the offense won this game. You know, most of the Nats' recent wins, to whatever extent we've had recent wins for the Nats, have come in large part due to pitching and defense and just the offense doing just enough to win. You know, in this game, the offense did struggle with runners in scoring position. But the offense, for the most part, led the way uh, in this victory.
3: Talk about the bullpen. Christian Pache reached base all three times he was up to bat. Two walks and a triple. Christian Pache, for those who remember him with Atlanta, he cannot hit. He is well below the Mendoza line. So when McGee walked him, that was really disappointing. And then, you know, right, triples happen, whatever. But you should not be allowing Christian Pache to reach base three times. But, yeah, the bullpen didn't pitch well against a very weak Oakland lineup. But I'm not going to beat him up because the bullpen has been the best part of the of the team this season. And uh, as you said, Finnegan was fantastic at the night. I thought that was one of his best innings of the season. And, um, you know, the Nats came in with a head of steam into the bottom of the ninth, but they had a tough task today. They had to throw five frames and uh, Joey Fourbags rescued him in the end.
0: He did. He absolutely did. A few of the things here with the Nats. Believe it or not, we prior to the game got a Steven Strasburg update. Steven Strasburg is a pitcher for the Nats. Uh, they took him with a number one overall pick in 2009. He actually was the MVP of the World Series in 2019, in case you're unfamiliar with Steven Strasburg. If you are unfamiliar with him, you are forgiven because you never hear about the guy anymore, okay? He's basically disappeared. Nobody talks about him. Nobody brings it up. This guy is a mega money pitcher, one of the most important players in the history of the franchise, and he's like disappeared. You know, his future, how he's doing, he's made one major league start this season. You hear nothing about his situation. Well, Davey Martinez, during his pregame press conference on Thursday, did give us an update, kind of, sort of, on Steven Strasburg. So, of course, he is coming off the thoracic outlet syndrome surgery of last year, came back this year, made the one start, has been out with injuries since then. Davey said that Strasburg is still essentially not doing much of anything. Quote, he actually is feeling better, though, but he's just doing strengthening stuff. But he said he feels a little bit better. So for us, that's a step in the right direction. But there is nothing new. He's not going to throw anytime soon. End quote. Now, what was so funny about all of this is that Davey, as was the case with Cade Cavalli on Tuesday, would not say that Strasburg is done for the season. I don't know if this was like an organizational edict that was given by Mike Rizzo that you can't say that anyone is done for the season, but Davey wouldn't say that Strasburg is done for the season, even though it's been pretty obvious to like everyone that Strasburg is, in fact, done for the season. But it was nice just to get some kind of an update on this guy. He's become like Bigfoot. You know, like you've heard the name, but you've never actually seen the actual entity. You know, it's it's kind of like, she's can we hear something on him? So I was glad we heard something on him. But yeah, I mean in, in my mind anyway, he's done for the season. He's been done for the season for a while. And I think that this is going to be a really big thing moving forward what happens with him, what happens with that contract. I think new ownership could have something to say about everything. But yeah, we got a Steven Strasburg update on Thursday.
3: Yeah, I laughed when I saw the update for all the reasons that you mentioned and it's, you know, he is the most expensive player on the roster, and he's supposed to be, in theory, their ace. So, yeah, he's so important to the team, and we never hear about him. We never talk about him anymore. While you're going through all that, Al, I don't know if this hit you the other day. This just hit me right now. Forgive me for playing catch-up on this, but we're going to mark down 2022 season. Of all the million things that happened this year, it's looking like we will, in the end, have only had one Strasbourg start and one Cavalli start. Both guys likely to have just one start. There are a lot of ways that you could sum up this season really quickly and how rough it's been for the fans and and the record books, but uh, that's one of them right there.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, at least with Cavalli, you know, there's still a lot to be said and done with him. With Strasburg, it's a sad situation because it really does feel like the end, and it's just a matter of how exactly does it end up ending. But, you know, here we are now. This is season number three of the seven-year, $245 billion contract to which he was re-signed in December 2019, he in the 2020 season made a mere two starts. He in the 2021 season made a mere five starts. And he this season has made and most likely will end up making just the one starts. So you're talking about eight starts over the last three seasons with still four seasons left on the contract. I've said this and I do believe this you're not going to keep going through this every year of him making you know, one or two starts and then being out hurt again. And when I say you, I don't just mean the team. I would be surprised if he wants to keep doing this every year and mounting that horse. Now, look, he's not a quitter. I would think that he still wants to pitch and maybe he makes another go of it next season. But how many more years are we going to do this? This is three consecutive years now of him barely pitching Due to injury, the body is just failing him. And again, it's sad. So I don't know. I mean, I think it's going to be interesting when the new ownership takes over. Is there some sort of a buyout that's agreed to? Does ownership go to Strasbourg and say, hey, let's make this easy on everyone? We'll pay you 70 cents on the dollar. You know, you're going to get a whole lot of money, but, you know, we're not going to keep doing this for the next four years. Does maybe Strasbourg go to ownership and say, look, let's talk about what we can do here because I, I don't want to keep putting my body through this? I don't know. You know, I don't think anyone's going to blame him if he ends up walking away at some point in the next year or so. I don't know when the actual end would come. Maybe it is still a year or so away, but I just, I can't fathom that we're going to keep doing this every year. This is becoming kind of ridiculous that every year, you know, there's a conversation of, well, you know, if they could just get the Strasbourg of 2019 back, and it's like, how many more years are we going to keep having that conversation? That guy's not coming back. And it's, it's really unfortunate. You know, I think that the lack of information that we've gotten on his recovery this year is especially telling because it kind of feels like the team and probably he himself are out of answers, that there's nothing left to say anymore, that the situation, as the saying goes, is what it is. And we all kind of know what the ultimate result is going to be. And it's just a matter of everyone being comfortable and sort of finally accepting that ultimate result.
3: My hunch on this is that He gives it another go next year whenever he feels ready to give it another go, whatever giving another go means. And if that ends in similar fashion to how this year ended, then my guess is we'll start getting lawyers involved and having those conversations that you talked about with buyouts or things like that. I'm on a similar train of thought with you.
0: I wonder too, if maybe the way to do this with this next try, assuming there is a next try, is bullpen and you stop trying to have him be a starter because you know again the body is pretty clearly communicating that it's not up to the task of being a starting pitcher and maybe the way to do this is just to go an inning or so at a time you know it's kind of funny <laughs> you could end up with Strasburg and Corbin in the Nat's bullpen at some point here in the next year or so you could end up with the single okay. most expensive bullpen in the history of bullpens but that's a different conversation but yeah i mean maybe that's the way to approach this is you say all right Stras Let's try you as a reliever. And then if things are going really well, then maybe eventually we could try to have you start some games. But, you know, this thing of still trying to have him go out there and pitch five, six, seven innings, like how many more years are we going to dance this dance? It's not happening, man. It's just not happening.
3: This contract runs through the 2026 regular season.
0: Yeah. 2026. Look, a lot of us, myself included, were okay with that contract when it was given it clearly was a mistake. And looking back on it, the red flags were everywhere. In his 30s, injury history, you know, but everyone was coming off the emotional high. Nobody wanted to say, well, you can't lose Rendon and Strasburg. You got to keep one of them. And I think a lot of people said, well, keep Strasburg because he had had a very good 2019 season. He had actually demonstrated a durability that season. He obviously was sensational that postseason. He said, all right, give him the money. Let's see what happens. And The contract just has been one of the biggest contract fails in sports history. You have to say that. I mean, $245 million. Again, you've got a total of eight starts over the last three seasons. It's not his fault, okay? It's not, you know, he's not soft. None of this is his fault, but it just has not worked out. Well, you tell us what you think. Hit us up on Twitter at Nats underscore chat. You can email the podcast, Natschatpodcast at gmail.com. Share with us your Joey Manessis thoughts your Joey Manessis insights again in a season in which there hasn't been a lot of fun things to sink your teeth into. This Manessis thing is fun. He's doing an outstanding job, and it was great to see him do as he did on Thursday. Uh, You can find the Nats Chat Podcast on Instagram at Podcast is our Instagram handle. Uh, If you're listening to this podcast on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify, please give the podcast a five-star rating if you haven't yet done that. The five-star ratings are very much appreciated. All Nats radio highlights on Nats Chat are courtesy of 1067 The Fan. Mark Zuckerman will be back with me on the next installment of the Nats Chat Podcast. Until then, for Tim Shovers, I'm Al Galdi, and we thank you for listening to the Nats Chat Podcast. Here's the set in the pitch. Swinging
2: a ground ball toward the middle and on through a base hit into center field. Rounding third is Thomas being waved home. Up with the ball is the center fielder Stevenson. He'll lob it in towards second base. Thomas has scored on a single up the middle for Joey Manessas, driving in his 12th big league run and continues to pile up hit after hit.
1: This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently